Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of the Team Nova Nordis podcast. I'm Zylan Fennec, Head of Digital at the team. With me now is the Press Officer Tim Lindley. Tim, how are you? Hey Zylan, I'm well, thank you. We're in Southern Tuscany at the moment at our mid-season training and performance camp, getting the riders grouped together again halfway through the season, ready for the next objectives, which are going to be Tour of Poland, Tour of Denmark, while we also start our Talent ID camp, getting ready to identify the next riders for the next generation. It's been really hot, man. As an African coming here, I was, I was ignorant to how hot Europe got. <laughs> That's such a classic thing to say, man. It, it, it's been extremely hot since mid-May in Italy. We're in the, in the high 30s already in June. It's not normal, uh, but the guys are getting out earlier. Everybody's dealing with it and uh, making good opportunity to get in the sea for a post-lunch dip to cool down. We did a, a photo on our social media channels. Go and look at it with Gerd de Kaiser. Um, having consumed 19 bottles on a five-hour ride and we put 19 bottles in front of him and took a photo with him for you to see the scale of what it was and David Lozano actually commented and said hey man be less this is what happens when you put a Dutchman under the sun you know <laughs> be, be a Spaniard like me but that's just another how uh, lucky we are to have a good partnership like noon and Morton to uh, to keep our guys hydrated on the bike yeah well, shameless sponsor plug there I was I was in the car feeding them, and I mean the amount of times I heard noon, 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 Morton, Morton. I was dreaming about it at night, going to bed. You know, we fed the, I mean, so many bottles through the cars. Well, these guys don't stutter either, you know, so they definitely meant noon, 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 Morton, Morton. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cool. In this episode, we are talking to Hamish Beadle. I caught up with Hamish actually at the Tour of Turkey. Got to do a sit down with him after one of the stages. He's really, he stepped up this season. I heard the coaches and the management say he's gone up a level. I don't know where the motivations come from. I think after suffering a little bit through the through COVID in the back, in the middle and back end of 2020 and then kind of struggling to gain his feet again in 2021, he's really coming through now. Put the work in over winter, um, got himself super lean, down around 65, 66 kilos at the moment. He said he's never been that lean. And with Hamish, with his story coming over from New Zealand, going through the Devo team, spending a lot of time racing in the States and then moving to Europe as a young guy, he missed that first real season because of the disruption with COVID. Um, so it's really good to see him stepping up and progressing uh, as he was programmed to do a couple of years ago. Yeah, he did a sprint training with the guys yesterday. They had to do five, 10 second sprints on a road up and down passes. And he looked really, really impressive, impressive and, and good on a bike. So... Enjoy Hamish Beadle's story. Beadle's story opens up about how he started cycling, the family he comes from, the hardships he's been through, and the dreams that he's chasing now. Enjoy. Hamish, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, so good to be here. You come from a cycling family back in New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, more or less. A uh, pretty adventurous family. Mum and dad... You know, well, I guess we've kind of done everything um, from a young age. But yeah, mum and dad were, you know, mum's a very big cycling family. And then dad obviously was a cyclist as well. So uh, yeah, it's in the blood. Didn't you have an uncle who was a pro cyclist too? Yeah, yeah, Doug. Dougie. Uh, Doug Bath. He won the famous Tour of Southland back in my hometown. So he was the last, actually the last Southland to... To win it so it's been years i think he it was in 1994 maybe 
It was like, well, 1996, I'm not sure which year, but yeah. So would you say the talent then was in the genes? Like, I mean, what sort of level were your parents uh, at? I don't know. Like, Dad was a, Dad's a, well, he still is a bloody good rider. But yeah, he would race domestically, um, do some national stuff on the road, mountain biking. He was a, though, Mum and Dad were actually big into mountain biking um, when they were younger. So they kind of blazed, blazed the way for... Um, you know the the Southland Mountain Bike Club and and those kind of things. So, so yeah. So was picking up the bike just sort of a natural thing, so or did you have a choice? Or no, man. It was like, <laughs> pro mate. I was probably riding before I could walk. You know, um. So always had bikes, always you know running around, whether it be rock climbing, surfing, kayaking always doing something and just the bike was um it was just always there it was always such a fun thing to do you know going out with um the family to a ready beach or or not a ready beach um sandy point sandy point mountain bike tracks that kind of stuff going out with them when i was a young little ripper and yeah getting around the trails with them did that include any siblings yeah my brother yeah Brother Tom, he's four years older than me, so obviously he was well into it um, as well. So yeah. Um, how old were you di- when you were diagnosed? Was it I was three? Yeah, I was three. Okay. Three years old, so pretty young, and like just kind of now I'm old enough to be able to wrap my brain around how crazy it would have been for mum and dad, you know, like three year old kid who's an absolute spastic running around, you know, <laughs> running around naked all the time and then throwing that into the mix. Like, I don't really remember it. I remember kind of going to the doctors, going to the hospitals, smelling their, you know, the hospital smell and the injections and and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, three years old, couple of days in the hospital, diagnosed, um, and then it was kind of like sweet. Let's go. You know. So, do you remember a time when you became aware that you had this condition and it's yeah. something that takes management? Yeah, definitely. Kind of, I definitely remember as a kid just being like, why have I got to do this? Why am I, why am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? Other kids um, aren't doing it. Yeah, like, what's going on? And, and things like not being able to have sleepovers when I was a kid, when I was, you know, young and things like, just little things, always. So when your friends go, go, yeah, go to sleep. Exactly. Or you go out, um, you know, you, your friends are going away somewhere, you go to a birthday party and, you know, the, the, the person having the birthday, they make a specific cake for me because, oh, you're diabetic, oh, got to be sugar-free, sugar-free. And it's like, you get there and you have um, like sugar-free jello uh, <laughs> orange slices or something in a tank. <laughs> so that was kind of weird. But um, yeah, from a young age, you know, you just have to be, yeah, just to, I mean, like my parents, mum and dad, just letting me be so independent with it too. Like, it's you know, you have to have a lot of trust in, in someone. So looking back at that, like, man, 
Yeah, you gotta have a lot of, lot of trust. I, I want to come back to the independence in a second, but my follow-up question is, how did it make you feel? Like when, oh, how did your parents explain it to you? You couldn't go to the sleepovers, your yeah. friends were doing the stuff that you didn't seem to be yeah. able to. It was like, ah, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, just the, I really, it was just aggravating, annoying. You know, it's like you want to do all the stuff. You want to go running everywhere, but then you've got to make sure you've got your your little juice boxes. You've got your test kit. You've got your phone, or someone's with you, or you know, you know where you are, and um, just yeah, it was strange. Um, but it didn't really like it didn't bother me that much. But uh, yeah, you aware do, yeah, I do remember times where it was like, man, you know, why am I injecting myself with this stuff? Like, why why do I have to do that? You know, bruises. Go into the, like, swimming lessons, man. Man, memories coming back. Go into the swimming lessons at school and just having all these bruises down my abdomen from all the big, big bloody injections, you know? Because yeah, I used to, first off, I was doing the syringes big eight mil needle and through the you know with the vial going to swim with all these bruises down my abs and the kids kind of looking at me going, what are you doing man it's like yeah it's just the you know the big lantis you know and then i mean you were three years old so obviously still very young yeah By the time you're 10 you're still young have you ever had a conversation with your parents in terms of what access to information was there for them, you know? I guess every now and then you'd kind of have a talk about it. And I think it kind of went like, uh, we, it was a real small town that we lived in and I was raised in called Tiaunau. And, um, you know, we knew the doctor. It was a family doctor, family friend. Uh, and kind of went to her, said, said all the symptoms. I think it was on a, we were on a road trip in Dunedin or something, and I, and I was just peeing so much and drinking. And the problem was I was drinking orange juice. You know, I wanted orange juice or, you know, all these fizzy drinks. And I would just keep peeing and peeing and peeing. And, uh, like, wetting the bed. And, and, you know, I was three by the time, so it was kind of, like, uh, a bit weird. And uh, so finally, yeah, went to the doctor. And then went to the hospital in Invercargill, I think. And... Um, yeah, I guess it was a couple days, and then, you know, like, I can't, I can't really pinpoint it, but, you know, it would have been such a change for mum and dad, and my brother too, like, just having such a, such a crazy kind of thing going on, and, and you know, I don't know what Tom was thinking at the time, but far out. It was a lot to take on, for sure. And uh, like you mentioned earlier, your parents gave you independence in terms of managing yeah. it. Um, I mean, there might be parents listening to this, you know. So, yeah, definitely. Like, what did that mean to you? Did oh, that empower like, you? In, independence, like, as in super young, like, got my little road bike and being like, oh, I'm going to go out with... Uh, Caleb or Tom or Hayden or Braden, you know, all of my mates, oh, I think we're going to go up for like an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And like super young, 
and them being like, okay, take some sugar with you. Um, we'll, if you're not back in an hour, we'll call the police. Like, <laughs> 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 you know, joking, yeah. but uh, more or less serious, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I was like, okay, got 45 minutes, sweet as, do a little um, loop around, I think it was Myers Bush, something, but do that, come back, and yeah, just realising, like, for them, that, you know, letting your, your kid who's not even... I don't know if, if it was be te- like I, I was racing, I was road racing when I was eight, you know, wow. so super young, and so around that time, you know, it was just like this whole kind of thing that I that I don't I didn't really recognise at the time, obviously, but yeah. And then in terms of. Was there a period where you realised that you were actually good at racing bikes? Oh, eh, not, I guess so, but I was really fortunate to have, I live in, like, we lived in a town called Invercargill, and at the time, uh, I was probably seven, I think, um, we had the New Zealand's first indoor velodrome being but wooden indoor velodrome so that was just this like crazy you know why has it been built in your tiny town exactly man yeah exactly (laughs) i think a lot of people are thinking that but so we had this beautiful facility and um immediately yeah eight eight years old um pretty much since i was young as well like mountain biking was first a lot of mountain biking with with mum dad and tom and then kind of the track got built and uh, I remember I was so little you know that we didn't fit the bikes I couldn't fit the track bikes <laughs> and there were these stupid age limits you that you know you had to be a certain height or had to be a certain age to run on the track and I was like ah bugger that you know that's that's not going on so um yeah I think I was around eight I've got some photos actually I don't know where the old uh, Sanofi Aventus kit. Yeah, uh, right, right. The yeah, man. Have, yeah. yeah. So riding that, um, but it was kind of like, you know, there was a good group of us by the time we were eleven, twelve, um, and it's crazy. Like here now in Turkey, one of my mates who I grew up racing with, he's here. His brother's here. Well, Hayden's not racing, but his brother's racing. He rides for Israel. And then I've got all these guys that I used to race with um, that are here, wow. like pros. So we're recording this at the Tour of Turkey. And yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a very high-level race. But you come from a tiny town. Small town, yeah. It's amazing how life works out, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so the Tom Sexton, he's he rides for Black Spoke. Um, and then, obviously, Corbin, he's, he rides for Israel. Hayden rides for China Glory. And then there's Campbell. He's up. He's from up north, but he rides for Bike Exchange. So was was cycling then a culture back home, or was it just no? It, it no, it definitely wasn't. Um, I think it was just that that kind of I don't know, just that kind of thing through through your family, you know? Because hey, hey, obviously Hayden and Corbin's um, parents they were pretty active, and Ellen, their dad rode, and then. Uh, you know, it was just kind of one of those things that you just kind of got into or you, you were brought into. 
So, and you connected with the team at a young age through the Talent ID camp, wasn't it? Yeah, that was like, oh, that was maybe when I was 15 or 16, we started to, me and dad decided, um, I think the, the kid I had was getting a bit raggy. So, oh, it'd be cool to get some kid off him. Like, that'd be bloody cool. So we emailed uh, the team. I think, I don't know if it was Morgan or... Um, Someone and we, and we say, hey, you know, look, blah blah blah, name's Hamish. Um, we call to get some kit, um, you know, race bikes, let me know, be cool to hear from you. And then that kind of process of a couple months later, you know, with me and dad emailing back and forth, me and dad had uh, tickets to, to Georgia in America for a talent ID camp, and it was like. Obviously, back and forth emails, they said, oh, send us your CV. So it's like uh, counting back all these races that I've been doing and the local <laughs> Baxter and Nielsen track series and this and that and the local road racing and writing in like B grade second place on Saturday, you know, like these things. And uh, obviously national medals and that stuff too. But um, yeah, sent, sent away the CV and they said, sweet, okay, uh, we'll see you in... It was like July or something that year. And uh, yeah, that was kind of it. So ask emailing the team, asking for some kits, yeah, eventually man. led to you yeah. being on a plane invited to the Italian yeah, yeah. I think maybe maybe Dad had some, uh, uh, you know, some <laughs> background work, but I don't know. It was um, just a crazy time for me. and um yeah what were your expectations going there i mean you're 15 or 16 years old had you been out of new zealand no, never and dad either oh wow dad had not left either so and he's a massive baseball fan so for for me and him we're going to atlanta so it's the atlanta braves and um we hired the <laughs> we we hired a dodge i think it was a dodge challenger a dodge char i don't know what it was called big a big American, American car. <laughs> and we're going to the baseball games and, you know, like, traveling around. We're going to the, the University of Georgia, UGA campus, and it was just crazy. Like, such a such an eye-opener for me and for Dad, too, I think, yeah. What was the experience like? At, it was cool, time? man. Like, pretty crazy seeing, you know, I think the development team was there. So you're seeing these, the bigger guys kind of playing around, um, learning a little bit more about the kind of riding with diabetes, strategies, experiences from the other guys, and also seeing, you know, the support team behind the team. Um, and that's when I first met Charlotte, who's the, phys- the phys- team physician. Um, I met Thomas Brown, who was uh, then became my kind of director, and Morgan Patton Brown, who had emailed and just this massive network. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was a cool experience and a, a bit of an eye opener, being that young and, and meeting all these people from you know around the world. And being like, wow, you know, far out. There's probably, I think I don't know if there's thirty of us or thirty two or something. It's like, hmm, okay, you know, this is crazy. Did you have expectations? Like not, you wanted to not, get onto the Devo team. Obviously, yeah. Then kind of, yeah, it was like. I think in my mind at that time, I really wanted to go to Junior Worlds um, on the track as a sprinter. So 
it was kind of conflicting a little bit in my mind, I think, because I was like, oh, I need to, and I remember doing like track starts on on the Athens roads in like 40 <laughs> degree heat, like doing these 500 meter standing starts in between this camp. And, um, you know, I was gymming at the time and getting buff for the track and then going out and riding two hours and being like, ooh, okay. But then, you know, expectations was, I think, I was thinking, oh, it'd be cool to get on the junior team because there's a junior team, the development team, and then, you know, the pro team. I was like, oh, we'll see. Junior team would be cool, but I really want to do the track. So then um, they invited me to the, the d- development house, house and um, ended up staying for an extra couple of weeks to do some local racing. Did really well in the racing um, criteriums and, and racing that suited me, like, you know, just fast, hard racing. And then I think I won a couple, did some podiums and uh, then went home and they said, yeah, sweet, you know, let's put you on the junior team. Let's go to Belgium. Let's go to Canada. And it was like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Holy, yeah, like, holy hell. And then going to Belgium, man. As a junior, as a track, like as a fat little track cyclist, <laughs> for me was just crazy. How like, soon was that after you? I think maybe that from from when I went to the Talent ID camp, I think it was a year later that I went to Belgium okay. um, with Thomas, who was part of the, he was a professional on the team and he, the you know really good guy and his partner kind of took us under their wing as, as it was like the junior team it had a house in Belgium and and just getting my ass kicked you know in Belgium you know after you know going from doing 200 meters on the track doing a flying 200 and then coming in for half an hour or 15 minutes and just being absolutely wrecked and then oh, I'll do another one you know because that's what sprint training was or you know you do gym three times a week and track two to three times a week and then you're doing these big, like, Belgian junior oh, races. Just and these all out. guys are massive, yeah. So that, again, everything was just, like, eye-opening. What do you think, uh, how do you think you stood out at the Talent ID camp? What do you think they saw in you that they invited you? Um, I think, I think uh, obviously, coming from Southland, had a bit of grit, um, you know, a bit of determination, and kind of just... Yeah, just I was a, a nuggety little guy with a good sprint and had some really good bike skills too. Hopefully still, oh, I, I like to think I still kind of do, but um, yeah, really good bike skills. Just kind of knew my way around, um, you know, racing. So, yeah. And so when you were in Belgium, did you think, oh, this is hard, but I could go all the way, or this is hard, oh, I'm not going to make it. No, going to Belgium, it was like, you know, racing in Southland, where I'm from, if you have six guys in the race, you know, you do like a 30k race, and it's like, six. you got six guys here today? Oh, we got seven of us today? And it's like, we well, are mates, so you're just attacking and, and riding as hard as you can, and you're going to Belgium and having like a hundred under 17 riders who are all huge and strong and did you even know how to position in a bunch then oh i mean i I did um but like i think in new zealand the top 
kind of races that we'd go to up north, um, you know, maybe there would be maybe 50, if, and that was big for us too, you know. Um, so to go from that and getting my ass kicked there to then going to Belgium and, and turning out to my first race and, and Thomas saying, like, yeah, I think there's about 100 guys today. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> holy, you know, like, and just seeing how big the bike culture was in, in Europe as well. Like, New Zealand doesn't have much of a bike culture, as in commuting and, you know, that and just seeing Belgium, like, everyone's on bikes. Everyone's commuting and kids and just everyone. It was crazy to me, yeah. So then how did things progress from there? How long until you get into the defense? Oh, and then from Belgium, um, I think when I was at the end of, when I was 17, because I had, had to finish school, high school. Um, so finished high school and like did okay, you know, finished pretty well, good marks. Um, and then I, yeah, the team contacted me from junior to development. Dan Holt, who was the development manager, he kind of sent the email and said, you know, would, they would, you know, they'd like me to be on the development team. And, uh, you know, here's the contract. This is what we're going to do. You're going to live in America, blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of like, whoa, man, we're going to move to America to move to North Atlanta? Like, holy, it was pretty scary, actually. Like, exciting and, and being pretty nervous to move away from New Zealand. Cause How old were you then? I was, yeah, I was, I was probably, I think I turned 18 when I moved. But, you know, that that kind of period from when I was 15 to 18, I was traveling months, you know, of That's the nice. year just racing. Wow. And throughout New Zealand. And then when I was 17, like, going to Australia for track because I was still sprinting at that time. And in the New Ze- I was in the New Zealand team too. And then kind of in that period of 17, I'd, I'd missed Junior Worlds selection. Um, and I was super bummed, and I was just really down in the dumps about it. And uh, kind of realized like, yeah, you know, you see these guys like Aziza Wang who are tiny, but they're just, they're just naturally massive boys and, and you see them on the track and you think, oh, I think I can, you know, like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And then it's like, hmm, you know, I'm trying to pack on as much muscle as I can, but, you know, missing selection was just a real kind of, yeah, it was just, it just sucked. So then being like, okay, let's shift focus. And, you know, I've got this once in a lifetime opportunity to move to America to race bikes and get paid to do it. So let's do it and then from kind of December when I was that when I was 18 or turning into 17 years old then get starting to go to Spain for the training camps with the team and then going to you know um, Stone Mountain in Georgia with the team and then you know flying back and forth and back and forth and then yeah spending the first kind of season when I was 18, I think I was 18, um, first full season away from home and away from, you know, family, and it was, yeah, it was nuts. Isn't life interesting that way? I mean, look at what you're doing now. You're on the pro team, 
racing at yeah. the highest level all around the yeah. world. But the idea you had for yourself was you wanted to go the track route. Yeah. I mean, you're invited to the Talent ID camp, and when you have a spare moment, you're practicing track Yeah, stands. that's, yeah. And that you funny. were devastated when you didn't make the New Zealand junior mm. team, and that sort of made up your mind to go to the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, isn't life funny that way, where sort of the doors you're expecting to open don't open? And yeah, and then another one another, does, and yeah. it's just kind of like, well, let's kind of go with the flow. And then I guess... It was, it was, not going to lie, it was pretty hard in America, you know, just straight out moving away, packing your life in a suitcase, and then moving into a house with 10 guys, wow. you know, um, all with diabetes, all with type 1, and it was like, ooh, this is, this is you know, going to be either, if I do well, it's either going to be one or two years, or if I'm in it for the long run. Uh, it's going to be a long time and and kind of just having to make you know just make peace with that and just just head down and so what was that like a house with 10 kids uh, it was chaos like it was organized chaos um you know made some really good mates and and still to this day you know Declan's on the team with me yeah so we were in the house together uh uh, I was on the, I was on a team I was on the development team a year before him, um, but it was just wasn't insane. it like the best time of your life? Like you're young, you're, tra- oh, you're racing bikes around the world. It was, or? Yeah, it was it was man. Some days were unreal. Just good times, good weather, traveling. You know, ten hours in the van and going to all these different places in America, and then you know. The other side where it's like, oh yeah, I'm bunking with another guy for a year <laughs> at a time. But I think, yeah, there were moments where it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm racing bikes and I'm having fun. And, and can, you, can you give me an example? Can you remember some of those standout highs? Just, oh man, the criteriums there, the, and that was kind of my thing, um... Those criteriums were so fun. The atmosphere and then the big, like you do the local ones and you could win a bit of cash if you were doing well enough. Um, but those big criteriums, uh, and the last year I was on the team, we went to Intelligentsia, and which is in, ooh, where is it? Indianapolis? I can't remember, anyway. But going to those races um, with the whole team, and they ended up doing pretty well at Intelligentsia Cup. And I was thinking, I was, I was either top five or top three overall a couple of days in. I was thinking, oh, I've, I've actually got a, a shot here. And, and uh, for reference, this is like an 11 day tour, all criteriums. Wow. So they're like an hour and a half or an hour to two hours. And so you're red zoning it for you're red zone, yeah, days. Yeah, 11 days straight. And it was really interesting because you could actually miss races, but then you miss points. So there'll be some guys who could do it tactically and they'd maybe miss one or two and Recover. come back and smash you. Or, and then they'd, like I did all, all of them. And the team were going to Belgium in a, in a couple weeks and the coach at the time wanted to do more road racing to prepare. 
I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm fifth overall. I don't want to lose this. You know, this is a, such an amazing opportunity. I was getting top fives in the stages and doing pretty well. And so I said to the team, like, okay, if I can make my own plan, can I do my own thing? Make my, make my way back to, you know, 10-hour drive back to Atlanta somehow? They said, yeah, sure. Go for it. I said, oh, mate. So me and Hayden, my mate who is obviously running professionally now, we ended up staying in an old people's home uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, on like the fourth floor of this old people's home. The, the, the manager was a big fan of racing and he helped all the cyclists out. And that week was so funny, man, because we had um, the New Zealand Cycling Project there as well, who, who they're a, a bloody good Kiwi team. And so they were there, they had the managers there, and it was just this like all the Kiwi boys, all my mates, all racing every day and like trying to figure out how we're going to get back. And the Kiwi boys ended up buying a van. This absolute, like, just, it was a a real doozy of a car. It was a van. And it was like pretty much an engine and four wheels, you know. Um, <laughs> that's stories of that thing. So, uh, you know, those yeah those times traveling back in the van and the brakes weren't working and <laughs> stuff like that man holy going back to the old people's home do you remember where you ended up finishing in the race i think i crashed out a couple of times so i lost um a couple places but I th- i'm pretty sure it was top 10 overall for the 11 days which was which was pretty big you know it was good for me um and then, yeah, just those those crits, though, like, I just couldn't quite crack the top three, you know? I was always there, but just couldn't quite get to the, get over the finish line, um, you know, just that bit more, but and, it was, yeah, it was bloody fun. And then getting onto the pro team, when and how did that happen? Oh, the, it's all such a blur now with, with COVID, but um, <laughs> 2019 was my last year. We did a block in Belgium, and I did okay in Belgium um, in the under-23 races there. So then the t- I think that's when the team started to kind of look at me. And there were a couple races in Canada that I did well in, um, a couple stages in... Um, was in Quebec or one of the other ones that I did okay in. And I think that's when the team kind of said, ah, oh, okay, you know, we'll look at them. Um, so we got the contract sent through. We actually went to see uh, the HQ in Atlanta to sit down with Dan, Phil, and Vasily and have the kind of, you know, the big talk contract on the table and have a think about it, go home. And uh, it was, I mean, it was, a, it was a no-brainer, really, you know. Was that is that the traje- trajectory you saw for yourself? Is that what yeah. you yeah 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 you wanted? And that, yeah, that was kind of the 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 main goal, you know. And it took three years, and I thought at the beginning of you know that time, okay, one or two years, we'll give it a go. You know, I'm not studying. We're gonna go full time cyclist. We're gonna put everything on hold, and then the next year, okay, full time cyclist. We're gonna put everything on hold, and then it got to the third year, and I said, okay, mate. Like, if we can't do this this year, if we can't get some results this year, then, you know, we're going to have to look at 
doing something else, whatever that may be. Maybe going to art school or something, I don't know. Mm. And then, yeah, cracking that finally and getting the pro contract um, for the pro team, it was just like, wow, you know. You know, well, not not we've made it, but it's like it's the next step. The it's, hard work you put in the last few, um, yeah, leaving home all, so yeah. young, yeah, man, and that too, like just spending so much time away from New Zealand was so strange. Um, but yeah, seeing it as another step, just that stepping stone, and then realizing, okay, I've come from, um, you know, now I've, I've I was peaking in that third year in the development team. And now I'm at the bottom again. So it's like, okay, wow. now this is my third year, I think, on the team, on the pro team. And now I'm starting to kind of pick back up and get some form and, and, and start to peak for races and picking races a little bit more. So it's kind of like a, you know, roller It sounds like a mature way to approach it. Do you think leaving home at such a young age sort of forced you to grow up and has given you that experience i think yeah massively and it comes back to that thing of the the independence with with type one Mm. and mum and dad giving me that independence from such a young age and it was like you know didn't realize it at the time but realizing that yeah you know you i could and i had that independence to kind of make my own decisions and you know, still ring mum and dad and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting a bit nervous about something, what do you think? But um, it helped massively. So now, you know, I've been living in Spain for almost two years and because of COVID, haven't been able to go back home because um, New Zealand borders are closed. And it's kind of just like, yeah, you know, live by myself um, in Girona and, yeah, just living, living the good life. To me, that sounds. You say the good life. To me, that sounds like a hard journey, mate. Yeah, oh, yeah. When you're young, leaving home, young, and then, yeah, it depends on what you. <laughs> and then now missing Christmases back home. Yeah. You, you're in Spain yeah. because I mean this is your job. Mm. That was hard. That was pretty hard actually. Like realizing, you know, you literally can't get back into the country because of you know the quarantine, the restrictions, and. Um, it was, I think it was at the, at the time, it was $3,000 for two-week quarantine in a hotel. Wow. So I was kind of like, and I couldn't get a minute, and I couldn't get a spot mm-hmm. or a ticket. So I was like, wow. oof, okay. Hmm. But um, it was, it was, yeah, it just got to the point where it was like, okay, it's not happening. It's off the cards. Don't worry about it. And I didn't even I didn't even look at the the website to get on it, you know. Like all my mates were doing it, and they were trying to do this and do that, and bam, bam. And I was just like, ah, no, nah, I'm not even worried about it anymore. But it was good though, because you know, uh, in Girona there were a lot of Kiwis, a lot of Aussies who were in the same position. So um, the Christmas two years ago, we had I had Christmas with Declan. Um, at his house and had a bunch of his mates and you know it was fun and then last well this last Christmas I had Christmas with Hayden and Corbett and it was just like hometown buddies best mates Um, (laughs) we're having Christmas together at at Corbin's apartment and Corbin's apartment's probably 100 metres away from mine and now Hayden lives 50 metres away from me 
It's like, what? And then I found Crazy, you, you thought you came from a small town before yeah, New Zealand. No, a fifth town of 50,000, and now we're all bloody living yeah. in Spain. I wanted to ask you, um, with the independence and your parents giving you independence at such a young age with your management, when you moved into the Diva house and there are 10 other guys living with type 1 yeah. diabetes, all on their own journeys with the condition, did you find you were quite good at managing it then compared to some of the other guys? Uh, yeah. I thought it was funny. I had a really good doctor in New Zealand, um, Dr. Paul Tomlinson, and kind of every three months you'd have your, your review, you'd check up, you'd go in and you'd look at the graphs and you'd, you'd be filling out your diabetic, you know, your blood sugars and, oh, you're, you know, you're a bit high here and really realizing the, just the control I had was really good. And um, then kind of leaving to the Devo house and seeing some of the guys either on the junior team or, you know, guys that were there just short term, it was like, ooh, okay, you know, I'm doing pretty good. But then kind of starting to be able to learn off each other and tell these guys, hey, well, you know, instead of doing this, why don't you um, do this in the morning before the ride? instead of doing what you're doing now because you're going low or you, you're going high or you're doing this or you're overnight. But it was um, something, a, a real big realisation for me, like the, the the lows. Like 10 guys in a house, you're bound to have mm. hypergly, uh, hyperglycemia. And man, realising the how scary it is when someone has like a, a real bad one, mm. And then kind of going back to why my parents were so worried about it at night. Well, when I did go low, why they were so worried. I was like, ah. So this big kind of shift. Yeah. There was one moment where one of the boys went, yeah, like super low. Um, and one of our meetings fell asleep on one of the guys and just didn't wake up. And, and kind of realized halfway through the meeting that old man next to us, he's, you know, he's in a coma. Yeah. He's... he's um, he's hyperglycemic and then getting the glucagon getting the sugar getting the gels getting the coke and and doing everything we can and it was like oh okay this is yeah it was was scary but again you know it was a real kind of stepping stone into all of us just kind of bouncing off each other and, and improving everyone's kind of management isn't that the beauty of community and having something similar to go through? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Like, like you were saying, you you sort of understood why your parents were so concerned with you because you probably yeah. didn't have any friends with type mm-hmm. one back home, like you said, you were the only yeah. kid, and now you're in a community of yeah. like mind, yeah. not just like minded people, but actually people with the same condition as you. Mm. Yeah, man. And sitting here today, like, has it all been worth it? I mean, the I mean, the journey of a professional cyclist, it is such a hard sport. There's no clear pathway, yeah. journey, road, ups and downs. Has it been worth it? Oh, massively, man. And it's just been such a crazy journey, and, and I hope it continues to be. But, yeah, I I don't regret anything. You know, this is, it's such a cool life. And, you know, the places you go and, and the people you see and the people you meet, 
it's just insane. So for me, you know, I, I really want to try and find a way to, to do this as long as I can, you know, and, um, it's just such a, it's just such a cool life. And I th- honestly, you know, I really do think I, I, I mean, I, I kind of know, not that I have an addictive personality, but I'm a bit addicted to, you know, when I get onto something, it's, it's, you know, it's that. So, uh, with cycling, it's just such, and it's been ingrained into me since, since I was a kid. So it's just so natural and to go out training every day. Yeah. You have some bad days and if you have six hours in the rain, it's not going to be fun. But <laughs> when you're having a five hour day with all your best mates in Spain, it's like, yeah, this is I get cool. To do this man. is my day. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. I'm getting sunburned in Spain. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And coming back to the team's mission, like what does it mean to you? Because you've been involved with the team through all those different levels. Yeah. And obviously at the pro team, it's just exponentially because you racing mm. such a big platform and there's the media attention and the yeah. TV coverage. It is, it is interesting, but it's just, it kind of reinforces that fact. Like, you know, see, man, the thing that gets me is seeing the, the kids with, cgms on and they've got the cgms or they have the pumps and they're running up to you know and it's like whoa because that's what i i had a couple like you know a couple people that i followed when i was a kid but i didn't have anyone that was like that so when i found the team it was like wow holy these guys are doing that like I'm doing it, but these guys are doing it. <laughs> and so seeing kids on the side of the road or, or beside the bus at the, in the races, it's just such a cool kind of feeling and realizing, you know, that that was me, uh, 10 or 12 years ago or, you know, 15 years, I don't know what it was, but, um, it means something. Yeah, man. It, yeah, it really hits kind of home and it's like, whoa. And then uh, just to wrap up, you mentioned earlier possibly going to art school. Yeah. If cycling didn't work. What people don't know about you is that you're actually a talented artist. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say talented, but... I mean, I don't know art, yeah. but I've seen what you do, and to me, it looks pretty good. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's something, you know, again, on mum's side, you know, she is an art teacher. She's been an artist her whole life. She... Oh. Studied it at um, university. She's a ceramist. And um, it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, I've always had a sketchbook or mum, you know, holidays. You're always drawing. You're always doing crazy things. I had a crazy imagination. So I remember just doing tons of drawing, tons of painting. And now um, it is a, a really good way to kind of separate from, although I love it, cycling you know it's a good way to separate myself and my mind you need and yeah and like i um have some really good friends in Girona now and um she's a ceramist and so now i can go 10 meters from my door and i'm doing pottery because wow. her shop is is 10 meters away oh, wow. and it's like you know we have monday clay nights and you're making <laughs> espresso cups for my coffee machine and you're doing 
you know it's just such a cool outlet so i think if i yeah if i wasn't a cyclist i definitely think i'd still be cycling <laughs> or or running or bloody surfing or snowboarding or something for sure but definitely that you know that art side is um it's still there and and it's something that i really like to do so you know i don't know you maybe in a couple of years you know university or if i kind of continue that you know my drawing or photography whatever it is pottery um kind of find a little niche and go with it yeah i'm not sure you have some of it up on your instagram don't you some of uh, people can have a look at it there i don't but maybe i can <laughs> after this you have to post so yeah, maybe, yeah maybe no. sometimes i post a story or something but yeah yeah. Cool. Hey, Michelle, thanks for sharing your inspiring story, man, with us. And yeah, hopefully people can find value in this. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you. Tim, that's Hamish Beadle, New Zealand on the team. Yeah, I mean, he's, I've got big respect. I've worked with a couple of cyclists from New Zealand over the years, and it, it's always admirable because they're coming half, more than halfway around the world. They settle in Europe, they leave a lot behind. As we mentioned just before, you know, Hamish suffered probably more than a lot of riders going through COVID because he couldn't go back. You know, so he had an nearly an 18 month period there without going back home. And as a young guy, 19, 20, 21, that's hard. It takes your toll, strong, close knit family coming through the New Zealand cycling scene as well. It's taking its toll on him. And I think to see him overcome that and get better and better is just a positive story. And like you said, you spoke to him back in Turkey. And those early results from in Antalya were the, the positive stepping stone for him this season, which he went on working almost as a lead-out man. He was one of the last guys for Andrea, going through the Tour of Greece and the races in Rhodes. And without him, Andrea wasn't podiuming or top tenning, so that was really positive. Yeah, it's really good to see. I mean, when we leave for bike rides in the morning, he's the one warming up. He's warming up his hip flexors. He's got his stretchy bands. He's, he's optimizing. He's got the rubber band going, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he's optimizing his bicycle as, as best as he can. He's really looking for gains in all areas. And I, I love seeing a professional athlete have that attention to detail. So enjoyed chatting to Hamish. Sure. And that's another episode of the Team Nova Nordis podcast. Let us know what you would like to hear more of. We're doing a bit of a behind the scenes podcast. That's going to be the next episode we put out behind the scenes from camp to sort of transport you here and bring you here and you get to see a little bit about what we do. So make sure you're following us on social media and on Instagram, particularly at Team Novo Nordis and DM us there and let us know what you would like to hear more of on this podcast. Tim, it was great for once. Usually you're sitting on the other side of the planet, I'm on the other side. And for once we got to be in the same room and record this. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed that, man. It's been good being face to face. It's good being able to do it together. And like Zylon said, we're going to be doing a behind the scenes one next. And uh, it's going to be very hot. Ciao for now. Goodbye. See you.